Chapter Sixteen of Anne of Geierstein, Volume Two, by Sir Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. And is the hostile troop arrived? And have they won the day? It must have been a bloody field ere Darwent fled away. The Ettrick Shepherd sleep did not close the eyes of the earl of oxford or his son for although the success or defeat of the duke of burgundy could not now be of importance to their own private or political affairs yet the father did not cease to interest himself in the fate of his former companion in arms and the son with the fire of youth always eager after novelty expected to find something to advance or thwart his own progress in every remarkable event which agitated the world arthur had risen from his bed and was in the act of attiring himself when the tread of a horse arrested his attention he had no sooner looked out of the window than exclaiming news my father news from the army he rushed into the street where a cavalier who appeared to have ridden very hard was inquiring for the two philipsons father and son he had no difficulty in recognizing colvin the master of the burgundian ordinance his ghastly look bespoke distress of mind his disordered array and broken armor which seemed rusted with rain or stained with blood gave the intelligence of some affray in which he had probably been worsted and so exhausted was his gallant steed that it was with difficulty the animal could stand upright the condition of the rider was not much better when he alighted from his horse to greet arthur he reeled so much that he would have fallen without instant support his horny eye had lost the power of speculation his limbs possessed imperfectly that of motion and it was with a half suffocated voice that he muttered only fatigue want of rest and of food arthur assisted him into the house and refreshments were procured but he refused all except a bowl of wine after tasting which he set it down and looking at the earl of oxford with an eye of the deepest affliction he ejaculated the duke of burgundy slain replied the earl i trust not it might have been better if he were said the englishman but dishonour has come before death defeated then said oxford so completely and fearfully defeated answered the soldier that all i have seen of loss before was slight in comparison but how or where said the earl of oxford you were superior in numbers as we were informed 
two to one at least answered colvin and when i speak of our encounter at this moment i could rend my flesh with my teeth for being here to tell such a tale of shame we had sat down for about a week before that paltry town of merton or morat or whatever it is called the governor one of those stubborn mountain bears of burn bade us defiance he would not even condescend to shut his gates but when we summoned the town returned for answer we might enter if we pleased we should be suitably received i would have tried to bring him to reason by a salvo or two of artillery but the duke was too much irritated to listen to good counsel stimulated by that black traitor campo basso he deemed it better to run forward with his whole force upon a place which though i could soon have battered it about their german ears was yet too strong to be carried by swords lances and hagbets we were beaten off with great loss and much discouragement to the soldiers we then commenced more regularly and my batteries would have brought these mad switzers to their senses walls and ramparts went down before the lusty cannoneers of burgundy we were well secured also by entrenchments against those whom we heard of as approaching to raise the siege but on the evening of the twentieth of this month we learned that they were close at hand and charles consulting only his own bold spirit advanced to meet them relinquishing the advantage of our batteries and strong position by his orders though against my own judgment i accompanied him with twenty good pieces and the flower of my people we broke up on the next morning and had not advanced far before we saw the lances and thick array of halberds and two-handed swords which crested the mountain heaven too added its terrors a thunderstorm with all the fury of those tempestuous climates descended on both armies but did most annoyance to ours as our troops especially the italians were more sensible to the torrents of rain which poured down and the rivulets which swelled into torrents inundated and disordered our position the duke for once saw it necessary to alter his purpose of instant battle he rode up to me and directed me to defend with the cannon the retreat which he was about to commence adding that he himself would in person sustain me with the men-at-arms the order was given to retreat but the movement gave new spirit to an enemy already sufficiently audacious the ranks of the swiss instantly prostrated themselves in prayer a practice on the field of battle which i have ridiculed but i will do so no more when after five minutes 
they sprang again on their feet and began to advance rapidly sounding their horns and crying their war-cries with all their usual ferocity behold my lord the clouds of heaven opened shedding on the confederates the blessed light of the returning sun while our ranks were still in the gloom of the tempest my men were discouraged the host behind them was retreating the sudden light thrown on the advancing switzers showed along the mountains a profusion of banners a glancing of arms giving to the enemy the appearance of double the numbers that had hitherto been visible to us i exhorted my followers to stand fast but in doing so i thought a thought and spoke a word which was a grievous sin stand fast my brave cannoneers i said we will presently let them hear louder thunders and show them more fatal lightnings than their prayers have put down my men shouted but it was an impious thought a blasphemous speech and evil came after it we levelled our guns on the advancing masses as fairly as cannon were ever pointed i can vouch it for i laid the grand duchess of burgundy myself ah poor duchess what rude hands manage thee now the volley was fired and ere the smoke spread from the muzzles i could see many a man and many a banner go down it was natural to think such a discharge would have checked the attack and whilst the smoke hid the enemy from us i made every effort again to load our cannon and anxiously endeavoured to look through the mist to discover the state of our opponents but ere our smoke was cleared away or the cannon again loaded they came headlong down on us horse and foot old men and boys men-at-arms and varlets charging up to the muzzle of the guns and over them with total disregard to their lives my brave fellows were cut down pierced through and overrun while they were again loading their pieces nor do i believe that a single cannon was fired a second time and the duke said the earl of oxford did he not support you most loyally and bravely answered colvin with his own bodyguard of walloons and burgundians but a thousand italian mercenaries went off and never showed face again the pass too was cumbered with the artillery and in itself narrow bordering on mountains and cliffs a deep lake close beside in short it was a place totally unfit for horsemen to act in in spite of the duke's utmost exertions and those of the gallant flemings who fought around him all were borne back in complete disorder i was on foot fighting as i could without hopes of my life or indeed thoughts of saving it when i saw the guns taken and my faithful cannoneers slain but i saw duke charles hard pressed and took my horse from my page that held him 
thou too art lost my poor orphan boy i could only aid monseigneur de la croix and others to extricate the duke our retreat became a total rout and when we reached our rearguard which we had left strongly encamped the banners of the switzers were waving on our batteries for a large division had made a circuit through the mountain passes known only to themselves and attacked our camp vigorously seconded by that accursed adrian de Bubenberg, who sallied from the beleaguered town so that our entrenchments were stormed on both sides at once i have more to say but having ridden day and night to bring you these evil tidings my tongue clings to the roof of my mouth and i feel that i can speak no more the rest is all flight and massacre disgraceful to every soldier that shared in it for my part i confess my contumelious self-confidence and insolence to man as well as blasphemy to heaven if i live it is but to hide my disgraced head in a cowl and expiate the numerous sins of a licentious life with difficulty the broken-minded soldier was prevailed upon to take some nourishment and repose together with an opiate which was prescribed by the physician of king rene who recommended it as necessary to preserve even the reason of his patient exhausted by the events of the battle and subsequent fatigue the earl of oxford dismissing other assistants watched alternately with his son at calvin's bedside notwithstanding the draught that had been administered his repose was far from sound sudden starts the perspiration which started from his brow the distortions of his countenance and the manner in which he clenched his fists and flung about his limbs showed that in his dreams he was again encountering the terrors of a desperate and forlorn combat this lasted for several hours but about noon fatigue and medicine prevailed over nervous excitation and the defeated commander fell into a deep and untroubled repose till evening about sunset he awakened and after learning with whom and where he was he partook of refreshments and without any apparent consciousness of having told them before detailed once more all the particulars of the battle of merton it were little wide of truth he said to calculate that one half of the duke's army fell by the sword or were driven into the lake those who escaped are great part of them scattered never again to unite such a desperate and irretrievable rout was never witnessed we fled like deer sheep or any other timid animals which only remain in company because they are afraid to separate but never think of order or of defence and the duke said the earl of oxford we hurried him with us said the soldier rather from instinct than loyalty 
as men flying from a conflagration snatch up what they have of value without knowing what they are doing knight and knave officer and soldier fled in the same panic and each blast of the horn of uri in our rear added new wings to our flight and the duke repeated oxford at first he resisted our efforts and strove to turn back on the foe but when the flight became general he galloped along with us without a word spoken or a command issued at first we thought his silence and passiveness so unusual in a temper so fiery were fortunate for securing his personal safety but when we rode the whole day without being able to obtain a word of reply to all our questions when he sternly refused refreshments of every kind though he had tasted no food all that disastrous day when every variation of his moody and uncertain temper was sunk into silent and sullen despair we took counsel what was to be done and it was by the general voice that i was dispatched to entreat that you for whose counsels alone charles has been known to have had some occasional deference would come instantly to his place of retreat and exert all your influence to awaken him from this lethargy which may otherwise terminate his existence and what remedy can i interpose said oxford you know how he neglected my advice when following it might have served my interest as well as his own you are aware that my life was not safe among the miscreants that surrounded the duke and exercised influence over him most true answered colvin but i also know he is your ancient companion in arms and it would ill become me to teach the noble earl of oxford what the laws of chivalry require for your lordship's safety every honest man in the army will give willing security it is for that i care least said oxford indifferently and if indeed my presence can be of service to the duke if i could believe that he desired it he does he does my lord said the faithful soldier with tears in his eyes we heard him name your name as if the words escaped him in a painful dream i will go to him such being the case said oxford i will go instantly where did he propose to establish his headquarters he had fixed nothing for himself on that or other matters but monsieur de conte named la riviere near solens in upper burgundy as the place of his retreat thither then will we my son with all haste of preparation thou colvin hast better remain here and see some holy man to be a soilzeed for thy hasty speech on the battlefield of marat there was a fence in it without doubt but it will be ill atoned for by quitting a generous master 
when he hath most need of your good service and it is but an act of cowardice to retreat into the cloister till we have no longer active duties to perform in this world it is true said colvin that should i leave the duke now perhaps not a man would stay behind that could stell a cannon properly the sight of your lordship cannot but operate favourably on my noble master since it has waked the old soldier in myself if your lordship can delay your journey till to-morrow i will have my spiritual affairs settled and my bodily health sufficiently restored to be your guide to la riviere and for the cloister i will think of it when i have regained the good name which i have lost at merton but i will have masses said and these right powerful for the souls of my poor cannoneers the proposal of colvin was adopted and oxford with his son attended by tybalt spent the day in preparation excepting the time necessary to take formal leave of king rene who seemed to part with them with regret in company with the ordnance officer of the discomfited duke they traversed those parts of provence dauphine and franc comte which lie between aix and the place to which the duke of burgundy had retreated but the distance and inconvenience of so long a route consumed more than a fortnight on the road and the month of july fourteen seventy six was commenced when the travellers arrived in upper burgundy and at the castle of la riviere about twenty miles to the south of the town of solens the castle which was but of small size was surrounded by very many tents which were pitched in a crowded disordered and unsoldier-like manner very unlike the discipline usually observed in the camp of charles the bold that the duke was present there however was attested by his broad banner which rich with all its quarterings streamed from the battlements of the castle the guard turned out to receive the strangers but in a manner so disorderly that the earl looked to colvin for explanation the master of the ordnance shrugged up his shoulders and was silent colvin having sent in notice of his arrival and that of the english earl monsieur de conte caused them presently to be admitted and expressed much joy at their arrival a few of us he said true servants of the duke are holding council here at which your assistance my noble lord of oxford will be of the utmost importance messieurs de la croix de crayon rubempre and others nobles of burgundy are now assembled to superintend the defence of the country at this exigence they all expressed delight to see the earl of oxford and had only abstained from thrusting their attentions on him the last time he was in the duke's camp as they understood it was his wish to observe incognito 
his grace said de crayon has asked after you twice and on both times by your assumed name of philipson i wonder not at that my lord of crayon replied the english nobleman the origin of the name took its rise in former days when i was here during my first exile it was then said that we poor lancastrian nobles must assume other names than our own and the good duke philip said as i was brother-in-arms to his son charles i must be called after himself by the name of philipson in memory of the good sovereign i took that name when the day of need actually arrived and i see that the duke thinks of our early intimacy by his distinguishing me so how fares his grace the burgundians looked at each other and there was a pause even like a man stunned brave oxford at length de conte replied sieur de argentin you can best inform the noble earl of the condition of our sovereign he is like a man distracted said the future historian of that busy period after the battle of granson he was never to my thinking of the same sound judgment as before but then he was capricious unreasonable peremptory and inconsistent and resented every counsel that was offered as if it had been meant in insult was jealous of the least trespass in point of ceremonial as if his subjects were holding him in contempt now there is a total change as if this second blow had stunned him and suppressed the violent passions which the first called into action he is silent as a carthusian solitary as a hermit expresses interest in nothing least of all in the guidance of his army he was you know anxious about his dress so much so that there was some affectation even in the rudenesses which he practised in that matter but woe's me you will see a change now he will not suffer his hair or nails to be trimmed or arranged he is totally heedless of respect or disrespect towards him takes little or no nourishment uses strong wines which however do not seem to affect his understanding he will hear nothing of war or state affairs as little of hunting or of sport suppose an anchorite brought from a cell to govern a kingdom you see in him except in point of devotion a picture of the fiery active charles of burgundy you speak of a mind deeply wounded sieur de argentin replied the englishman think you it fit i should present myself before the duke i will inquire said conte and leaving the apartment returned presently and made a sign to the earl to follow him in a cabinet or closet the unfortunate charles reclined in a large armchair his legs carelessly stretched on a footstool but so changed that the earl of oxford could have believed what he saw to be the ghost of the once fiery duke indeed the shaggy length of hair which 
streaming from his head mingled with his beard the hollowness of the caverns at the bottom of which rolled his wild eyes the falling in of the breast and the advance of the shoulders gave the ghastly appearance of one who has suffered the final agony which takes from mortality the signs of life and energy his very costume a cloak flung loosely over him increased his resemblance to a shrouded phantom de conte named the earl of oxford but the duke gazed on him with a lustreless eye and gave him no answer speak to him brave oxford said the burgundian in a whisper he is even worse than usual but perhaps he may know your voice never when the duke of burgundy was in the most palmy state of his fortunes did the noble englishman kneel to kiss his hand with such sincere reverence he respected in him not only the afflicted friend but the humbled sovereign upon whose tower of trust the lightning had so recently broken it was probably the falling of a tear upon his hand which seemed to awake the duke's attention for he looked towards the earl and said oxford philipson my old my only friend hast thou found me out in this retreat of shame and misery i am not your only friend my lord said oxford heaven has given you many affectionate friends among your natural and loyal subjects but though a stranger and saving the allegiance i owe to my lawful sovereign i will yield to none of them in the respect and deference which i have paid to your grace in prosperity and now come to render to you in adversity adversity indeed said the duke irremediable intolerable adversity i was lately charles of burgundy called the bold now i am twice beaten by a scum of german peasants my standard taken my men-at-arms put to flight my camp twice plundered and each time of value more than equal to the price of all switzerland fairly lost myself hunted like a caitiff goat or chamois the utmost spite of hell could never accumulate more shame on the head of a sovereign on the contrary my lord said oxford it is a trial of heaven which calls for patience and strength of mind the bravest and best knight may lose the saddle he is but a laggard who lies rolling on the sand of the lists after the accident has chanced ha laggard sayest thou said the duke some part of his ancient spirit awakened by the broad taunt leave my presence sir and return to it no more till you are summoned thither which i trust will be no later than your grace quits your dishabille and disposes yourself to see your vassals and friends with such ceremony as befits you and them said the earl composedly how mean you by that sir earl you are unmannerly if i be my lord 
i am taught my ill-breeding by circumstances i can mourn over fallen dignity but i cannot honour him who dishonours himself by bending like a regardless boy beneath the scourge of evil fortune and who am i that you should term me such said charles starting up in all his natural pride and ferocity or who are you but a miserable exile that you should break in upon my privacy with such disrespectful upbraiding for me replied oxford i am as you say an unrespected exile nor am i ashamed of my condition since unshaken loyalty to my king and his successors has brought me to it but in you can i recognize the duke of burgundy in a sullen hermit whose guards are a disorderly soldiery dreadful only to their friends whose counsels are in confusion for want of their sovereign and who himself lurks like a lamed wolf in its den in an obscure castle waiting but a blast of the switzer's horn to fling open its gates which there are none to defend who wears not a knightly sword to protect his person and cannot even die like a stag at bay but must be worried like a hunted fox death and hell slanderous traitor thundered the duke glancing a look at his side and perceiving himself without a weapon it is well for thee i have no sword or thou shouldst never boast of thine insolence going unpunished conte step forth like a good knight and confute the calumniator say are not my soldiers arrayed disciplined and in order my lord said conte trembling brave as he was in battle at the frantic rage which charles exhibited there are a numerous soldiery yet under your command but they are in evil order and in worse discipline i think than they were wont i see it i see it said the duke idle and evil counsellors are ye all hearken sir of conte what have you and the rest of you been doing holding as you do large lands and high fiefs of us that i cannot stretch my limbs on a sick-bed when my heart is half broken but my troops must fall into such scandalous disorder as exposes me to the scorn and reproach of each beggarly foreigner my lord replied conte more firmly we have done what we could but your grace has accustomed your mercenary generals and leaders of free companies to take their orders only from your own mouth or hand they clamour also for pay and the treasurer refuses to issue it without your grace's order as he alleges it might cost him his head and they will not be guided and restrained either by us or those who compose your council the duke laughed sternly but was evidently somewhat pleased with the reply ha ha he said it is only burgundy who can ride his own wild horses and rule his own wild soldiery 
hark thee conte to-morrow i ride forth to review the troops for what disorder has passed allowance shall be made pay also shall be issued but woe to those who shall have offended too deeply let my grooms of the chamber know to provide me with fitting dress and arms i have got a lesson glancing a dark look at oxford and i will not again be insulted without the means of wreaking my vengeance be gone both of you and conte send the treasurer hither with his accounts and woe to his soul if i find aught to complain of be gone i say and send him hither they left the apartment with suitable obeisance as they retired the duke said abruptly lord of oxford a word with you where did you study medicine in your own famed university i suppose thy physic hath wrought a wonder yet dr philipson it might have cost thee thy life i have ever thought my life cheap said oxford when the object was to help my friend thou art indeed a friend said charles and a fearless one but go i have been sore troubled and thou hast tasked my temper closely to-morrow we will speak further meantime i forgive thee and i honour thee the earl of oxford retired to the council-hall where the burgundian nobility aware of what had passed crowded around him with thanks compliments and congratulations a general bustle now ensued orders were hurried off in every direction those officers who had duties to perform which had been neglected hastened to conceal or to atone for their negligence there was a general tumult in the camp but it was a tumult of joy for soldiers are always most pleased when they are best in order for performing their military service and license or inactivity however acceptable at times are not when continued so agreeable to their nature as strict discipline and a prospect of employment the treasurer who was luckily for him a man of sense and method having been two hours in private with the duke returned with looks of wonder and professed that never in charles's most prosperous days had he showed himself more acute in the department of finance of which he had but that morning seemed totally incapable and the merit was universally attributed to the visit of lord oxford whose timely reprimand had like the shot of a cannon dispersing foul mists awakened the duke from his black and bilious melancholy on the following day charles reviewed his troops with his usual attention directed new levies made various dispositions of his forces and corrected the faults of their discipline by severe orders which were enforced by some deserved punishments of which the italian mercenaries of campo basso had a large share and rendered palatable by the payment of arrears which was calculated to attach them 
to the standard under which they served the duke also after consulting with his council agreed to convoke meetings of the states in his different territories redress certain popular grievances and grant some boons which he had hitherto denied and thus began to open a new account of popularity with his subjects in place of that which his rashness had exhausted End of chapter sixteen